This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Cause we're gonna be Thank you. How are you guys? Good. So, um, by show of hands, how many of you are? From, I, is my mic on? Are you guys? Doesn't feel like it. Do you guys? I, yeah, I can go loud. I don't know if you guys are doing it like before. No worries. I don't. I don't think I touched it. Technical glitch. No worries. I can wait a second. Oh, that's right. You're right. I did. I'll take this. Can I take this? Awesome. You're right. Sorry. I've. That's the daily V mic. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, by show of hands, how many of you have context for me? Raise your hands. And how many don't? Okay, good. So I'll give you a little background and I'll talk a little bit and then we'll open it up to Q&A because I just wanted to get a sense. Um, so I'm an entrepreneur um, and uh, I'm an entrepreneur that probably spends a disproportionate amount of time looking at consumer behavior and uh, have basically spent the last 20, 30 years of my life reverse engineering what I think is actually happening with people's attention. And that's what brought me to email marketing in 1996 when I had 90% open rates. It's what brought me to Google AdWords the day Google AdWords started with five cents a click. It's what brought me to YouTube seven months after YouTube started and started one of the big first shows that was longer than a minute. Uh, It's what made me an early investor in Twitter and Facebook and Tumblr and um, it's my currency, my intuition on where you're spending your time and, uh, and usually I'm just a little bit faster than the next guy or gal in executing on those platforms and then I spend all my time trying to figure out how to bring value in that new paradigm shift. So for example, for the ones that do follow me, you know that I'm very obsessed with voice right now and so because I believe that Alexa and Google Home and Apple HomePod and whatever you know, Alibaba or Tencent or the big Asian players do, that everybody in six years will have a device or, or the voice will be in the paint or in the building but that most of you will be interacting with a voice activated AI environment and to me, now what do I do? I've binarily decided that's happening the same way I binarily 10 years ago thought the cell phone would be the most important thing in our lives which is what led me to betting on the platforms that were being built on top of it. And uh, I believe in my intuition. I execute within those white spaces. And so intuitive understanding of consumer behavior, dating sites in the 2000s when it was taboo and now it's mainstream. Um, So believing in my intuition, jumping into new territory, it's real estate. I'm in the real estate business. I believe some place is gonna be good. I start building. I learn the space better than the next person and I became a player in that domain. Obviously for a lot of you, it really became obvious to you in the social media domain over the last 10 years but it was happening in the web 1.0 domain with search and AdWords. It was just I was doing it for a liquor store behind the scenes and I was starting from zero. Um, I think voice is gonna be my third chapter Um, and that's it. 
And then for you guys, I think a lot about supply and demand. I spend a lot of time on supply and demand of attention, which is what I've just been talking about for a few minutes. And then I also, to be very frank with you, think about supply and demand of entrepreneurs. There's never been more startups. Lucky for me, because it's fun and it's cool, entrepreneurship has been put on a huge pedestal. It is crazy to me that, you know, that there's celebrity around entrepreneurship, uh, but that's the case, and that means there's a vulnerability. That means a lot of people that shouldn't be entrepreneurs are. And what I mean by that is everybody should try, you're more than welcome, it's just, I'm scared that there's a lack of self-awareness and everybody does binary things, like, uh, like the same kids that blindly went to MBAs are now blindly doing startups and let me just remind everybody, number 11 at Facebook made a lot more money than number one in 99% of companies. So, you know, when I go into a room like this, I'm less worried about marketing arbitrage of attention, I'm more worried about are you self-aware enough of what kind of founder or entrepreneur are you and do you know how to surround yourself with the things that you need to be successful instead of blindly thinking you can do everything. And then are you doubling down or tripling down on your strengths? And are you putting that pieces together to be successful in what your ambition is? And are you aware of all the vulnerabilities of what you're doing? And how are you combating those? And most of all, are you building a business based on the way the world is right now without anticipating what the world's gonna look like in 36 months by the time you actually have something? So those are the themes on my mind. Um, I'd love to kick off with a little bit of Q&A and see where you guys take this and then if, you know, if I need to jump back in and change the tone of conversation, I'm happy to do so, but does anybody have a question? So I know that we have friends all the way from Indonesia as well, so you know, please do ask your questions. Sorry, I just gotta open up an app. So I just recently got a power profile on LinkedIn. Okay. And this morning I asked uh, my LinkedIn, because I didn't have a question for you. No worries. So I'm just gonna take to my LinkedIn real quick. Sounds cool. See what the question is there. Cool. Okay, so this one comes from Jessica Horgan. Can you describe a time you felt lost in your career path? What did you do and what was the outcome? So I think for me, I've been very, I felt super lost the first 18 years of my life because I wasn't a student. And in the 80s and 90s, there was no such thing as entrepreneurship in America. And the only way that you traded was based on how good of a student you were. And so for the first, you know, kind of from six, kind of from 10 to 18, I had a lot of pressure being thrown at me by teachers and parents of my friends that basically painted me as a loser because I was getting D's and F's. Uh, even though I was making $3,000 a weekend selling baseball cards, I was losing, which you know, built up a good skin, made me very prepared for entrepreneurship. The only, only time since I was 22 for the last 20 years that I felt lost was when I knew that it was time for me to transition out of my family business and I was worried that it would hurt my dad's feelings, right? Uh, luckily, what manifested in that two to three years where it was kind of like starting to build was my dad also was struggling because I was starting to be the real operator of his business and he was feeling less of a man and less of the, ma- the man. So 
as that hit a crescendo point for both of us, it actually became easy to leave the business because we were both winning. He got to be the boss again and I got to go on to do other things. So that would be the only, you know, to, I don't want to manifest a bullshit story. I've, I've never felt lost in operating. This is what I was meant to do. Probably no different than somebody who was meant to be a soccer player or meant to be a musician. Like, I'm purebred, you know? <laughs> I really am, I really, really am. I never was capable of doing anything but selling and branding and marketing and business, 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 long before it was cool. Uh, so I got very lucky. It's why I really push people to do what they're passionate about because sometimes you get lucky and the world comes to you. And that's absolutely what's happened to me. The thing that I always was has now become the thing and uh, that's really worked out. <coughs> Questions? And listen, I, you know, just to give you guys context because I know a lot of you may not know who I am, I've invested in over 200 startups like I'm very comfortable answering a very detailed, subtle question that you may have on your mind for your business. Be selfish, that's what q and is about. And a lot of times the question you have is 60% of the audience is also thinking of a version of it so don't feel like you have to come up with a question that's valuable to anybody. Go real selfish, we have some time here. You're managing, yeah, you're managing. Sort of, so what is the next thing? Because I've been coaching for six months now and I'm like okay. Coaching your employees? Yeah, mm-hmm. well, what, what, what is the next thing? More coaching. <laughs> Wait, so here's the real question. If you don't like it and you like the hunting and not the farming, you need to find a farming partner. Okay. Do you understand? Yeah, because I'm also the solo founder. And, um, right, and, and le- so that either comes in the form of an actual partner or you bring in a managing director and she or he is really good at operational and HR aspects and you're out building the brand and hunting for business. I love the coaching part. It's just, you know, I don't want to always be there and what's, what's outside that I'm missing out that I'm not doing to make it go further. Sure, but I think first of all you have to deploy patience. When you're small and you can't maybe afford the proper farming partner, you've got to eat shit. <laughs> yeah. You've got to make choices. Yeah. You've, got, you've got two answers. You either work more so that you hunt from 7 p.m. to midnight or you deploy patience. Cool, but don't underestimate patience. Patience is usually the reason people lose. It's hard. You have something to prove. You wanna get something with the money. You wanna scratch the chip on your shoulder to prove everybody that you weren't a loser because you had D's and F's. I understand why patience is hard, but it is absolutely the superpower of most successful businesses. And it is something that most young people never want to do. And then you have the subtleties of an Asian culture where there's a lot of conflict with parents if you're taking that risk. So the quicker you're successful, the quicker you can say, see mom. <laughs> but a lot of times that becomes the flaw because you try to overextend and then you break the whole thing. So be thoughtful. You know, the I told you so, ironically is even more sweet if it takes longer because then people are building more cynicism because you didn't do it fast, which makes it even more fun when you stick it to them. (laughs) There's nothing more fun than losing 30 to 10 going into the fourth quarter and then winning. 
too many people want to win 30 to 10 in the first three quarters and then lose because it feels better up front. I care about the finish line, not the starting post. Bjorn. Yes, good eyesight. Hi, Thank you. I'm Bjorn and uh, I must say that you know, I follow your videos and you are less mellow and more thoughtful in person. I agree. <laughs> I agree. It's a, it's, a, it's a really good insight and, and I'll tell you this Bjorn, if there was a thousand people here, I wouldn't. I think the context drives my behavior. I'm always listening, right? So when DRock and I are on camera, I'm envisioning 400,000 people which drives my energy up. You think this is thoughtful and mellow, you should have dinner with me for two hours. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so the context is always the driver of my behavior. If that's a real question, I'll say yes. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway, I run a meditation startup called MindFive. I'm already interested. I know, because uh, you talk about this being a trillion dollar industry. I believe it's the biggest space for consumer behavior going into the next decade as a consumer product the way fitness was in the 90s. Yeah. And I also um, you know, found this um, video that you mentioned a year ago where you had this switch where you talked about you, weren't so hot, you were not so hot on meditation about a year ago. That was something. Me doing meditation. Yes, you doing I, And I'm still not. Yes. I did it once on a podcast for fun but I've never done it since. Right. So I'm really curious, which brings me to my question. Um, as a non-meditator, yes. what makes you excited about this space? And what are some key trends based on you know, that, you, that you think of? So I don't think the person that observes things has to be a user of those things or look like the person that, you know, some of the greatest coaches in athletics never played the game. So it's about the ability to synthesize the psychology what, what, why am I so excited about it? Because the brain is the operating system of the human being and we haven't even begun to explore it because we've lived in such an environment of prosperity in the world that we are now into second and third generation wealth in a lot of places, which means we have anxiety about dumb shit, which leads us to these kind of trends. I think we've become more educated about our health from a physical and food standpoint, and humans are incredible. We're survivors. And so I always bet on humans. Even when I'm scared about macro political issues, you know, North Korea, US, China, you know, I, I always say to myself, the fact that we're still here is something you have to bet on. And we've gotten better in our life expectancy, and I believe that meditation is the unlock of the next chapter. That people will ling- live longer and happier once they start really getting into that game. And, and I'll be very honest with you, I think I was born gifted. I think I'm meditating while I'm talking to you right now. I, think, I feel like I'm a tough read, I'm an enigma because of my personality. But I think the people that know me better or have been around a little bit longer have a pretty good read in my groundness. I'm balanced in my extremities. And so I know the benefits of a very peaceful mind. I think maybe it was handed to me or the circumstances handed it to me, but I wish it on everybody. And if meditation is a gateway to that feeling, which I believe intuitively it could be, it's going to be a big deal. Now, anytime something's a big deal, business people come in. (laughs) And so you're gonna have a lot of people from 
these parts of the world, India, other places where this has been common culture for a long time, who are gonna be mad at the American you know, business DNA of turning meditation into soul cycle and Coca-Cola, but that is what's gonna happen. And I look at that as a positive because I think anything that gets a lot more people into a good place is just good. And if some people have to make a lot of money to make that happen, I'm cool with that too because I like capitalism. I think it's interesting. So I'm, it's as black and white as any trend for me. More than I think that the sun will come up tomorrow do I believe that meditation is going to be a very substantial commerce trade over the next 30 to 40 years. Now, now becomes the next question. What are you gonna do about that? What is somebody who here just got inspired gonna do about that? Are you gonna be the fashion brand? Are you gonna be the app? Are you gonna be the food complement to? Are you gonna be the studio location? Are you gonna build the high luxury retreats? What are you gonna do about that is the question. Maybe we can talk about that over dinner. Thank you. You're welcome. Questions? Hey, Gary, I'm Sam. Um, hey, Sam. So a couple of the things you've talked about already um, <laughs> resonate with me and go to a question I was gonna ask anyway. Great. So you've just been talking about happiness yes. um, and your interest in happiness. So personally, my background is that I started out in a corporate job and after that I got into entrepreneurs and worked in startups. I was basically that person you were talking about, uh, the vulnerability in the market in terms of getting involved in startups. And I didn't take an MBA because it hadn't, that was no longer the cool thing to do. I wasn't the natural path for people. So I started with what a lot of people think of as quite a boring job. And then I moved into jobs that a lot of people think are very interesting. And that's what I do now. I work with a lot of startups and I do lots of interesting stuff. Personally, I love it. This means I get a lot of people reaching out to me to figure out how to do it themselves. Effectively to do career transition. Understood. So, and do you now see that as a white space that you want to play in? Not especially. Okay. There's a lot of people who are jumping on it. That's right. Because there's a massive market there. Of course. Um, Most people are unhappy. Correct. So this is, so this, this is where my question goes. Sure. Because something that I think resonates most about all your content for me is your sort of focus on legacy. Yes. Personally, for me, that's my biggest focus too. Cool. And I, it took me a long time to figure this out, to go through my sort of professional gratification, happiness, what makes me happy. And what it all comes back to is the most important thing for me is my happiness. Yes. You cannot separate personal or professional when you're talking about happiness, right? That's exactly right. So I am, I am acutely clear on this personally. That's good. I'm talking to a lot of people who aren't. That's right. Asking me for help to transition into a new interesting That's right. One thing I'm struggling with when I speak to these people is sort of breaking through that wall, which admittedly took me a few years, to be able to really focus on honestly what are your drivers. It's, it's, it's radical candor. Yeah. It's pressure. You know, it's where people confuse my content. Where people struggle with me up front is I'm making them uncomfortable yeah. because I'm suffocating their bullshit. So this is something I struggle with. It's being able to. I get it. People. It's because you're at a place where I used to be probably at some point too. I just, stuff for me to recall. It's, you're deploying empathy, you're a good guy, it's not fun to be disliked. 
Like I don't like being disliked on first impression. I just know it's my responsibility because I have a gift of communication and now I feel almost a sense of responsibility. You know, I mean, the answer is self-awareness to all questions. If you have excitement or energy towards helping people, whether professionally or just kind of random, the answer is radical candor and suffocation, which is not a normal trait for a lot of people. I hate being disliked, which is crazy because a lot of the way I roll publicly creates 25 to 40% dislike on initial contact. But I'm gonna win in legacy because I get 100 emails a week, 100 emails a week that just start with, I first started hating you. How many people here consume my content in any shape or form? Raise your hands. Hi, I want everybody to see this for some, hi, higher, don't be scared. Okay, how many of you, the first time you saw me, thought I was a bullshit artist or didn't love it? Raise your hands. This is a very interesting insight. But you know what's cool about legacy? It's truthful. And so I would, I would tell you that if you're trading on legacy, like you will start gaining, just in the same way that you realize that, me too, you'll start gaining sharper edges to get people there quicker because you could bounce around and pander with it or you could just get right to the punchline. And getting to the punchline is the beginning of the process of them winning. I think that's great insight. So a sort of step further Go ahead. is if I'm straight in there with the punchline, if I'm just cracking down on radical candor and people put the blockers up because they do. hundred percent. Don't take you seriously, right? They say, whatever, that's not my situation. That's, not getting that's why you've got to roll with honey and then vinegar, right? You've got to have, you know, it's like being a fighter. It's like MMA, right? You've got to, you, you know this, like I can even tell, you've got to throw different kind of angles. The other question is, you know, my dad, I've worked on him more than any person on earth. He's not, it's not gonna happen. So like some people, prefer to live within their non-truth. So then you move on. Then you move on. Now, there's different ways to move on. It's not like you cut them out of your life, but you have to be also self-aware and accept things as well. There's only so much one can do. You know? I appreciate it. You got it. It's a super interesting thing, man. What's crazy is I think technology is exposing us. It's unbelievable how I see this whole thing and I'm putting it on film. I will not be able to see this be true. I believe the next 50 years is a giant step backwards for human beings in the short term because we're about to be exposed to who we actually are and we're not gonna like a lot of things that we see. Right, that's Brexit, that's Trump, that's a lot of the stuff. I think though that that's gonna put us in a 100 year macro much further along because once we actually get to that point we're gonna start fixing it. So, I think it's gonna be super interesting. Hello. Hi, my name is Steph. How are you? Good. Um, I run a content marketing agency and most of the time I'm doing content for brands. Yes. Um, well, I love the craft of it and I'm getting deep into the insights of people and as you said, what makes them stop and pay attention to the brand. Yes. Um, a problem that I have, a struggle that I have is usually 
Yeah, the clients are the problem. Uh, how do you measure the conversion to sales? And it's, uh, I think, even more of a struggle when they don't have the digital infrastructure in place to measure that. Correct. And even more so if they're an offline Correct. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, the first thing I do in that scenario, which is a very tricky one, is I ask them how they measure all the bullshit they're actually doing. <laughs> right? So whatever you're talking about, right, let's talk about a fashion retailer brick and mortar store. They can be mad at me that the metrics don't prove to them that the pictures on Instagram and Facebook sell blouses, and I'm empathetic to that, though I'm more than capable of driving a transactional sale versus a branding sale, which is a more short-term play than a long-term play. I'm thrilled, but before I even let them beat me up on the lack of metrics of my environment, I ask them to tell me how they justify the print and outdoor that they do. The answer is they don't have an answer they've just accepted it. It's kind of like religion, right? So I'm okay with that. My answer to your question is very simple. You have to understand that you're in client services, which means you're not the ultimate decision maker, which means you have to deal in the reality of what you're dealing with. I don't have a single client of the $115 million in revenue that VaynerMedia will make this year that spends their money the way I would if I ran their business. And I'm Gary B. Zero. So I think that you have to be acceptant of the reality of the situation, but never waver from your strategic point of view. I've never accepted that bull crap from a client. I will always push back on my belief and I let the chips fall where they may. Whether we don't, do you know how many, we, we don't ever win business pitches because we just get handed business because if we're actually going up against somebody else, we are not the consumable agency because I'm not willing to waver to make them feel good in the same way that Sam just asked about self-awareness. I'm not in the business to make a client feel good and make them justify programmatic banners and justify print. I don't believe in it. So, you know, it's very easy to measure Instagram and Facebook if you drive them to a conversion. Make a coupon piece of content and drive them to stores and see how that does against direct mail. Tell them to do that same coupon in a print magazine. No, 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 that's branding. We have to put a pretty picture. It's, it's complete horse crap, and it's why the big businesses of today are on the verge of not being around tomorrow because a lot of their behavior doesn't map the reality of the world that we live in. She just looked you dead in the face and said, I'm gonna move, that was, that was super gangster. I, you, were, you were right there, you raised your hand, she looked you right in the face and said, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move it. That was honestly the favorite part of my whole day so far. Hey. Hey, I'm Ramon. Ramon. Also from Bel Air, like yourself. No kidding. Yeah. What town? Uh, How close is that to Babrusk? Uh, one hour. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so I run a website called uh, Crypto Jobs List. Yes. It's a job board for crypto positions. Smart. Uh, engineers, developers, just basically. Makes uh, sense. We are one of the top growing websites out there for this space. Very Understood. Specific niche, about 20% week on week growth. Uh, but we want to grow even faster. And I'm trying to figure out what's the best channels and what's the best way to grow it. Uh, is it just content, is it something else? What's like top three priorities that I should put? I think you go above the line and below the line. So what I would do is I would write white papers and manifestos and distribute them through LinkedIn right. and Facebook. Right. And then I would do Google AdWords. I think you will do very, like in the okay. early nature of crypto, so many people are searching. Yeah. And I think if you find the long tail of a couple of different search queries, 
you know, how to get involved in the crypto business. Like, I think there's a lot of long tail search queries that will probably be disproportionately ROI positive for you in crypto. What's the best unpaid? Un- non-paid? Non-paid. That's more interesting. Why? I totally disagree. Let's talk about it. Sure. If, I, I, think that's, I think that's ideological. So if you can find an arbitrage in paid that is more ROI positive for you than what you're paying, it's a hell of a lot more scalable and more interesting. I think unpaid is philosophically interesting, um, but I, I'm not against paid when it's an arbitrage that is massively ROI positive. And when there's new spaces, and crypto is new, there's a lot of arbitrage in paid. But there's a couple other ways you could go. You could start a weekly podcast about crypto. I mean, there's a lot of things, you know, when you go non-paid, Ramon, the biggest thing that you have to wrap your head around is you're running a marathon. Okay. So, non-paid's incredible. I'm a big non-paid guy. I'm also 15 years in the making. Right. So, faster and organic don't match. Uh, but content always plays. You're gonna have to have a unique point of view and you have to understand distribution, but I'm in for it. I just wouldn't, especially when you're running a business, wouldn't, I, you would absolutely speed up the process on running paid because of the interest graph of crypto is so easy, both in intent and targeting. It's just, it's vibrant to run paid in new dynamics because there's a lot more search query going on because people don't understand it. And so I would give that a lot of thought. Hi Gary. How are you? Yeah. And hi, you're up. Nice to see you. Uh, it's weird seeing you off, not on YouTube. So. <laughs> so the first thing I'd like to say is uh, thank you for three things. Uh, uh, number one, it's, uh, for me, I'm a lecturer. Uh, and I'm going to be a design coach at DBS in a couple of months. So that's exciting. So the first one is uh, ignoring and sticking it to the haters by building the biggest uh, building in town and not telling others. For me, as a young lecturer at uh, 27 or 30 now, uh, my peers are all like way above and older than me, and they, once I come, when I came in, they all, uh, like the should be done. Yes. So, and the second thing is by providing uh, providing alternative perspective to my students. When I'm just like, counseling students and all that, they all uh, unsure of what to do next, and there are some mental issues. Your content really helped me uh, a lot. Thank you. And the last one is, I think the biggest one for me is that. I used to always think that I'm an entrepreneur. Yes. But you made me realize that I I'm not an entrepreneur, but I'm someone with entrepreneurial tendency. Yes. So I think that's a big thing for me. So that comes to my question is that uh, I have a big ambition. I believe education is it has the power to change lives. And for me, uh, my childhood dream to be a lecturer and a business owner by age 40, I already accomplished it. But now, you got me thinking, what's next? Which is about legacy over currency. And for me, it's I want to build a foundation or build schools to give back to society. So the one question, that, uh, one thing that I have is that you talk about ambition and the willingness to hustle for it. I have the ambition, but the willingness to hustle for that ambition is lacking. Why? I, I ask my question to myself as well. Uh, What's the real answer? I, I would say that it's my parents and all of that, but I think that's also bullshit. I think the biggest thing is myself. One that I, I maybe I'm scared of success or the failure, even though I'm comfortable in the uncomfortable. Yep. But then I'm not sure whether I can do it really. But then at the same time, I feel that I can do it. 
I think, I think the biggest thing that you, you have to, I think both your answers are right. I think once you get into a place where your failures are just yours, they get a lot less scary. And you, you answered the right thing. Whether it's your parents or somebody else in your life, the biggest reason people don't take risks is they worry about other people's opinions. It is, I, I wish you guys could feel what I feel in my heart and in my soul. I do not care about a single person's point of view about me while equally caring about what you think about me. It's a very interesting contradiction. It's a subtlety, but saying both your parents and yourself, it's, it's you know, when I hear I'm scared to fail, but I feel like I can do it, you're just worrying about, you're just worrying about outside forces. It's no different than the way you, like I love if my professors of 40, 50, 60 year olds when I was 25 would have shit on me because I was excited about sticking it to them later. And if I didn't, and here's a big one, and I don't talk about this as much, when I fail, I'm excited because it meant that I deserved to fail. I love the game so much, even at my own expense. Like I can't be pumped about the fruits of victory without equally respecting the agony of the defeat. I'm excited when I fail. I'm like, okay, tough guy. The sneaker, the sneaker. This is interesting to me. Why did I do this deal? It was win-win. If it works, I get to run around with the legacy of being like the first entrepreneur with a signature sneaker and then, you know, it's kind of cool, right? Like in 20 years, entrepreneurs are just like athletes and musicians and have sneakers. I can sit here in 20 years and be like, you know, the way I thought about the first sneaker, you know, it's cool. It's it's, It's a legacy play of being strategically right. But if I fail, it's ammo for my friends to make fun of me. Like remember when you thought you were so cool, tough guy? Like it's funny, but I have to have that humility as much as I have that confidence to be able to do my thing. You have to be okay with losing. I have a different question for you, which is if that's your, I agree with you that education has the chance to change the world because it's already happened. Education changed the world. My bigger question is I just wanna make sure that you're not overly romantic of the format of the delivery of the education. So I'm fascinated by everybody right now in our current state being in technology. Let me explain. The fact that we in society put a written, handwritten note on a pedestal as this is some great gesture versus when we text people is fascinating to me because we've put the medium on a pedestal, not the action. So you're telling me if I write an incredible six sentence empathetic love letter to my mom of my admiration of her in text form that that for some reason is less powerful than a written handwritten note for that same delivery just because we're anti-technology because we fear change, I laugh at that. That's how I think about education. I do not believe in a lot of ways that education is being dispersed because it is in the selfish financial interest of the disperser. So one weird insight could be that that's your unlock. That you believe in it, but subconsciously you know that the format is bullshit. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Uh, we have one last question to wrap up, and we have a guest who flew in all the time from Indonesia, so we'll end it with him. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hi, Gary, I'm a content creator from Indonesia. Uh, thanks, for, uh, uh, thanks for having me.
four or five years. Singapore is very near from Indonesia. Thank you. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, for a workaholic person like you, I'm really curious about uh, how do you manage your time between your work and your family? Yes. And uh, in the previous uh, session, you, you talked about escapism. Uh, we we as yes. a big uh, really need to have escapism. And my question is, what is your entertainment? What is your uh, my escapism is the New York Jets. Okay. For those three hours, 16 Sundays a year in the fall and winter, you could tell me that the world is ending and I won't care. Because that escapism is my pure quiet zone and nothing in business, technology, social unrest is in my mind. All I'm worried about is my guys score more touchdowns than your guys, right? So that's my escapism. And some people use film, like I don't watch movies, but I love movies because I know that does that for a lot of people. You get wrapped up in that story, that's cool. Reading, you know, I I love people having their version of escapism because it's the healthiest thing. I think it's got some nuances to meditation. Uh, So that's that. As as it comes down to work-life balance, there's a couple things that I think about. First of all, I would argue to everybody that the best way to become selfless is to start by being selfish. If you don't know who you are and what you're about, you will lose. So the first thing is I do not crumble to current peer pressure of how I should live my work-life balance. I think that modern parenting advice is quite flawed and has historically been flawed because it changes all the time because it's generational and it's macro-political. And so, number one, I don't care what other parents tell me if I work too much or don't work too much. I care about what my wife thinks. I care about how my kids are reacting. Um, And most of all, my friend, I don't overjudge myself. I know what my intent is. I wanna be a great father. I wanna be a great husband. Sometimes I'm over-delivering, sometimes I'm under-delivering. I'm always trying. This is also a specific chapter in my life. So because I squeezed it so hard in these four years, next year, I get to bring Misha and Xander to this trip to Singapore, paid for by somebody who's gonna pay me $200,000 to give a speech and fly my kids over, and I'm gonna take them to this, like, you know, life's about give and take. There's no right or wrong. There's what's your thing? Are my, are my six weeks of vacation of deep downtime, higher quality time than somebody who makes fun of me that comes home at six o'clock every night but doesn't really spend time with their family? Like, I'm not pandering. I'm living in my reality. And my reality is four people. And I'm always putting a pulse on it while making sure I'm not full of shit and conveniently creating a narrative that works for me because of my passion, which I do just like anybody else. And I just keep trying. And I just keep trying. And I find angles. Two years ago I had two weeks vacation. Now I'm at six and seven. That's a big shift for me. I almost took all of August off. That's unheard of. You know, so I'm just adjusting. I'm just adjusting but never overjudging myself because I don't think anybody's doing it better. I just think people are doing it differently. That's how I handle it. You're welcome. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's give a big round of applause for Gary. Hey guys, I hope you really enjoyed this episode of the Gary Vee Experience. Now go out and share this, pass it on, let me know what you thought.